beginning in verse 12. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Why don't you look down at your Bibles? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruits, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Like any good preacher, Jesus knows how to end a sermon. And we have to understand something and remember that that these last three chapters that we've been looking at, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, was probably not the whole entire sermon that Jesus was giving, but it's probably more of a summary or bullet points or big picture of what Jesus was teaching. He probably taught for a very long time. And you know why I think that? Because we just read his conclusion, and in his conclusion, he gives us four points. He reiterates over and over and over and once more. Four times. He wants to get it through everyone's heads. That guess what? You have a decision to make. You know, a lot of these passages at the end of the Sermon on the Mount are very common, very famous passages of Scripture. If you went to Sunday school, undoubtedly you have heard the story of the wise man who builds his house on the rock and the unwise man who builds his house on the sand, right? And you say, hey, kids, don't be unwise. Build your house on Jesus. And we know these stories, right? We also have heard the golden rule because that even gets translated out into the world. Do unto others what you would want done to you. And we hear things like, 
those who bear bad fruit come from bad trees, right? Uh, I think of the movie Willy Wonka, right? She was a, a rotten egg, and so she fell down, and whatever, okay. Um, but Jesus wants to summarize. He's, he's concluding his sermon. He's giving the final remarks, and he's trying to do as much as he can to tell them. And so what does he do? He gives four pairs of contrasts. He gives two paths, two trees, two pleas, and two homes. And so tonight, I want to look at just the first two of those. We get two different paths. You have the wide path and the narrow path. And then you get two type of trees, which is talking about false prophets. If you go to a grocery store, I remember I was at the grocery store just today walking through it, and I just glanced at the peanut butter section. Of all the choices there were about peanut butter, and not just the brands, the sizes, or creamy, or the nutty kind, or this doesn't have some type of preservative in it. You know, just a whole like section just on peanut butter. And you think of all the decisions we have to make constantly, daily, even within the hour, we are constantly forced to have to make a decision. And sometimes people in our society, they say, hey, you know, it's not right to discriminate, right? Don't discriminate. Don't make a choice between something. It is wrong to discriminate, right? Not always. It's wrong to discriminate when it's based off a of skin color or race or because you're a woman, but to discriminate simply means one thing, to make a choice. I think of Proverbs chapter 9, where the whole proverb is about these two different people, Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom. And you were called, as someone reading that chapter, to make a choice. Who will you follow? Lady Wisdom or Lady Folly? In the same way, Jesus right here is asking you to make a decision. A very large decision. Jesus is asking that you would choose to be his disciple. You have to understand, who is Jesus talking to here, right? We talked about that in the very beginning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds... He went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Jesus is talking to a multitude of people. A lot of them aren't his disciples. There were some of his disciples who followed him around everywhere, and they went with him. But most of the people who Jesus is talking to aren't Christians. And he is explaining to them the kingdom norms, right? He tells them, hey, if you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to be a Christian, here are the character traits and so look at the Beatitudes, right? If you are going to be a disciple, you have to understand that you are going to be a moral influence in the society. You are salt and you are light. As a disciple, Jesus is your perfect righteousness. And he also, Jesus spends time at talking about the different types of righteousness there are between being a disciple and just someone who's religious. Jesus gives us a model of how to pray and how to actually have true religion. That true religion is, is done in secret. It's not done when it's in a big group. That what you think and how you practice 
Your faith in Christ when no one is around is truly what you believe. We've been taught about judgmentalism. We've taught about prayer and asking God and seeking Him and He'll open the door. And now Jesus finally gets to the very end and He drills it through their head. You have a choice to make. You have a choice. And sometimes Christians, we get a little weird with that, that lingo, that, that, the vocabulary of choosing because we know certain things that, that isn't God who chooses us. Isn't it only God can draw, the Father draws those to him that I am dead spiritually, I can't do anything, only God can do this? And in one sense that is very true, but we're also told right here that you have the decision. Will you enter in by the narrow gate? So, looking down at verse 13, we see two different paths. Enter by the narrow gates, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. So, the first gate, okay, the first path, which is by a wide gate, we are told that it's this, that it is easy. Everyone can find it. It is not hard. Most people are on this path, if you think for a second. Most of your friends are on this path. It comes natural to you. A lot of times it's fun. It appeals to our senses. The, the, the wide path that Jesus is talking about here is the path that everyone is on at one point in their life. Not everyone can be on the narrow path at one point in your life, but everyone at some point is on the wide path. But what does he say about this path? This path leads to destruction. The second path, he says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Now, now notice the contrast here. Imagine for a second you're walking up to the county fair and you have this huge wide gate. Like it just goes forever. You just walk in. You don't even know you're walking through a gate. And all these people, okay? Now, think of the contrast now. You're getting on a ride at an amusement park, right? And what do you do? You have to go through one of those little like spinny metal bar things, whatever. How many people can get through there at one time? One. That is the comparison that Jesus is trying to make. The path that most people are on, the wide path, the path that is easy, the path that is fun, the path that doesn't require any real challenge, everyone's on it. You don't even know. It's, it's huge. But the path that leads to life, the path that is hard, is like the single file line, one person at a time. I was, I was at a maybe eighth grade winter camp my youth group. And I vaguely remember this was the passage that whoever the speaker was, wasn't my youth pastor, talked on. And he kept talking about how, hey, it's really easy, the path to follow Jesus, it's the best, you need to do it. Hey, and we, we played this game or we made this path and we all went on it and it was this neat little thing. And it made it appear that simply getting on the narrow path 
was just, hey, I just need to tell you that I'm not on the wide path. I'm on the narrow path. I played this little game and I symbolically joined the wide path to the narrow path, right? Woohoo. Yay. I am convicted. I'm challenged when Jesus says this one thing. The way is hard. The way is hard. See, most of you in this room, I'm, I'm sure that you grew up in a Christian home, kind of. Most of you, not all of you. And I grew up in a Christian home, and I am extremely grateful that I did. And I want everyone to grow up in a Christian home. And sometimes the challenge of growing up in a Christian home is we are around Christians so much, and we're a youth group a lot, and we're a church, and a lot of our culture, we're around people who are, in fact, on this narrow path. And the thing we have to remember is that majority of people are on the wide path. You see, the narrow gate promises persecution. The narrow gate, the small gate, the single file line gate, it will cost you something. It's a hard way. The, to walk the path of Jesus is to die of yourself. It's to sacrifice. It's to submit your life to one another. It's to give your life in order that you may gain it. It's to literally die to yourself all the time. You see, I don't want to tell you that the Christian life is hard just to be... Like, go make the Christian life hard just to be hard. But part of me wants to say this one thing. If you were living your Christian life, if you say, yeah, I like Jesus, I want to be a Christian, I want to go to heaven one day, and if you notice in your life that the fact that you being a Christian doesn't make things a little more difficult at times, you need to really re-examine which path you're on. See, here's the thing. Most of you here, myself included, like, hey, Aaron, I made that decision a long time ago. I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus is cool. Awesome. I'm asking you to reconsider Think again. Jesus wants you to think again. He asks you four times, which path are you on? Which tree? Which plea? Which house are you building your life upon? And a lot of times what happens is we take faith in our profession of faith. And what do I mean by that? I mean that most Christians, it seems like, most Christians that, that think they are Christians, that, that's what I meant to say, they think that just because I tell people I'm a Christian or because I speak it out loud that therefore I am a Christian. I can tell you all day long that I have better basketball skills than LeBron James, right? I can tell you that, right? That's cool. But it literally means nothing if I can't even jump like half as high as he can. I, can, I am horrible at dribbling a basketball, all the way. Sometimes I'm good at shooting, but dribble, game over, right? Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a phrase I hear a lot in our society, and I hear from Christians. They say, I don't hear from Christians, actually. They say, there are many paths to God. Raise your hand if you've if you heard that before. If you actually, there, there are multiple paths to God, right? I want you to know something. They are right. There are many paths to God, okay? Only one path will lead you before God guilty 
free and with ultimate joy. Every path that the, that the world takes will eventually lead you before God. That is very true. One path, the narrow path, the hard path, the path that comes with persecution, the path that comes with hardship will lead you before God, guilty-free and with ultimate joy. You see, what I read right here is Jesus is doing this one thing. He is gathering up all the criticisms against Christianity. Don't you hear from people that, man, Christians, they're just so narrow. Why do they have to have insiders and outsiders? Why is it so hard? Why as Christians we can't do the things we want to do? How come being a Christian is so unpopular? Being a Christian, it's, it's a strange thing. It is not normal. It seems like we're on the wrong side of history at times. None of my, my friends believe it. Do I have to believe in all these miracles and all these ethical teachings? And it seems that it, it clashes with all of the educated people in our society. And do you know what Jesus says to all those? He says, yes. Yep. You're right. All of that. See, saying you're a Christian is one thing. But actually believing in Jesus' words right here and actually being on the narrow path that leads to life means that it will be hard. It means that it will be narrow. It means that we will sacrifice things. You see, my life as a Christian is not hard because I have people knocking on my door trying to hurt me because I'm a Christian. My older brother... I love him with all my heart. But it seems that every time he's around me, he likes to compare or bring up how hard his job is, physically. He's an iron worker, right? And he'll ask me at times, well, what's so hard about your job? You're in Candyland. You hang out and you play games. You talk about the Bible and you get to go to Mexico and all this stuff. He says, what's so hard about your job? And, you know, one time I had the nerves to say something back. The hardest part about my job is that I am forced to deal with my sin every single day. I can't run from it. I can't put it off to the side. You know why? Because every single day I walk into that office or I have conversations with people or I'm studying this word and I cannot, in good integrity, walk in sin. And so that forces me every single day to deal with my sin, to confess my sin, to talk to others about my sin and how bad I am and how I need Jesus. It is hard. It is hard when all my heart wants to do is run to idols for comfort and for pleasure. Christian life is hard. Jesus was not kidding when he says, if you want to follow me, go pick up your cross and follow me, right? Jesus says, you know, people will want to kill you. Your family will want to leave you because of me. But do you know what I'm comforted in? You know, I don't, I don't get this picture of Jesus as sitting there up in heaven, you know, sipping on slushies and, you know, playing with puppies or frolicking on rainbows or anything like that, you know, like... Here's what I'm comforted in. is that Jesus never tells us to do anything that he didn't first do himself. Jesus doesn't tell you to bear a cross without him first bearing the cross. Jesus doesn't tell you to forsake all pleasures without him first doing that, right? 
see, I'm trying to be brief tonight so that next week you can really jump into the heart of this. But I want you to know something. Uh, the, the being a Christian is a narrow way. It is different. It is strange at times. It does seem at times we're on the wrong side of history. But guess what? Guess what, guys? It leads to life. Proverbs chapter 9. You know, many people are going to Lady Folly's house. And what does it say at the very end? Little do they know that her house leads to the depths of Sheol, the depths of hell. problem, I think, with our generation, and I, I, I am characterizing myself with your generation, because one day when I'm like 70, how old are you right now? You're 17, so that makes me eight years old. So I'm 70, Sarah Newell is 62. We're pretty much the same generation at that point, right? Our generation, and not just my generation, every generation, Brady gener generation included. Now this is the thing that most people struggle with. We want the easy way out. You see, you can go through high school and not really try and don't do your homework and not study for your test and ditch classes, but I'm going to tell you that most people would probably say that is not the best way of doing things. You see, if you want to be good at a sport, if you want to be good at school, you actually have to try hard. And you know, sometimes like, I want to encourage you guys high schoolers to have a good friend Sometimes you have to have that hard conversation. Sometimes you have to say, I'm sorry. Sometimes you have to actually put time into it. You have to do things to build a good friendship. A good friendship does not come by only being at the surface. And our tendency is to want to just do things the easy way. Hey, I, I can get seized by just coasting. I don't have to be the best at something. I, I'm good enough. And that is the thought process of the Christians who think they're on the narrow path yet are on the wide path because the path that is wide is easy. Somehow we think when we come to Christianity, it's easy, right? I just have to read my Bible every once in a while and come to the youth group and sing a few songs. Hey, I'm a Christian. And I just think of the ignorance of that thought. The ignorance that we sometimes think that my Christian life doesn't deserve any effort on my own part. If you want to get straight A's, you work hard and you study. If you want to have a good friendship, you invest, you do things. If you want to be good at a sport, you practice. If you want to be good at an instrument, you know your scales. How is it any different when you come to God, right? All right, now I'm just talking now. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. You see, Jesus warns us against these two paths, and now he says you should be fearful and be discerning against the people who want to drag you to the wide path, right? I don't like to call certain preachers out by name. And as a matter of fact, I won't, but I'm, I'm tempted to. Because here's the thing with sheep, right? Or wolves. Sometimes the wolves 
look identical to the sheep. You know, these little like, you're in like kindergarten or preschool or something like that, and they give you the little sheets, and there's like two almost like mirror images, and it says, spot the differences, whatever, you know? Like, sometimes when it's discerning between a wolf and a sheep, it is really hard to spot the differences. Sometimes the wolf has more degrees. Sometimes the wolf has more success. They're nicer. They tell you better things. They have better credentials. But at some point, the wolf is different than the sheep. And Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit, right? That's interesting. Because one, it's like, Jesus, you're like mixing up your illustrations here. First you use like wolf and sheep and now fruit and this like... um, Go to English class, maybe. I don't think that's allowed. But sometimes, when you think of fruit, like you bear fruit, what what do most people think of? What? Okay, I, I guess, okay, I'm thinking like the literal sense of how it's being used here. Like, not actual food that grows from trees or bushes. Um, when Jesus says it'll bear fruit, a lot of times we think like, if I'm doing something and it bears fruit, that means that I have had success in it, right? That's, that's what we typically think. Like, hey, I, I have put in the hard work. I have studied. I have opened up the books. I've actually opened up the textbooks and read. Wow. And out of those labors, I bear good fruit. And sometimes I've heard Christians say, when I've confronted them on, like, that person who you listen to on the radio. I would punch them in the face if I could. they say, how, how, why would you say that? That person, they have books published. Their church has 4,000 people in it. And Jesus is trying to, sometimes Jesus is very black and white, right? Do this, don't do that. Two different ways, there isn't a middle ground Hey, it's either the narrow way or it is the easy way that leads to destruction. But when it comes to discerning people who are going to pull you away, Jesus says you have to look at two things. Their character and what they teach. Let me ask you as a question. And I want someone to maybe try to give me an answer. What is your definition of integrity? All right, we're getting a lot of control here. Um, All right, (laughs) trying to click my thoughts, trying to be brief. Jesus is so serious about the fact that there are two paths. That he wants you to be constantly thinking through the people you listen to. Constantly thinking about who are you getting truth from. You know, there's this, there's this ancient document. It's called the Didache. It was a book written in the first century for Christians to try to distinguish what does it really look like to be a Christian. And there's a whole chapter devoted to how to distinguish a false prophet. 
And it's a really interesting chapter because it's all just a bunch of sentences and paragraphs on different things on how you really know if the person is a false prophet. So they would say, if someone comes to you and they say they're a prophet, and if they stay for one night and don't ask for any money, they're legitimate. If they stay for three days, they're a false prophet. If they stay for two days but ask for money, they're a false prophet. And the whole chapter is, is little things about how to really distinguish between whether someone is a true prophet and a false prophet. And it seems that from the get-go, even when Jesus is talking here, See that Jesus is even aware in that day there are false prophets. They will always do it for the money. The second no one is around, it's about them. Jesus is trying to do as much in his power with his words to say, listen, these words that I have just spoken in the Sermon on the Mount are so important. People are going to constantly try to get you to think that, hey, the Christian life really isn't that hard. God doesn't really love you if he wants your life to be hard and narrow and have persecution and have hardship. You're beating yourself up too much. Jesus wants everyone to know that truth actually has limits. The narrow way has limits of what to believe and what not to believe. And to be on the narrow way is to always be able to discern what is true. That's all I got for tonight. Be prepared for next week. We really kind of hunker down into this, but let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, there's so much here. There's so much in your word that it speaks into our life. And God, I, I pray you take my small, feeble words, God, and you magnify them. Lord Jesus, I pray that these students would understand the magnitude of walking the narrow way. God, it is hard at times to be a Christian, but Lord, we thank you that there is so much joy in it. Jesus, you never command us of anything that you first didn't do yourself. God, you know that in hardship there is life. In giving ourselves up to others, God, there is true fulfillment. God, the world says think about yourself. Do what feels good for you. And ultimately, God, we come up empty when we live that way. Help us, Jesus, to live by the narrow way and to enter through the gate that leads to life. In your, your name we pray. Amen.